This episode is brought to you by Mass Youth Campaign, The Orphan Who Changed the World. Mass Youth has teamed up with Islamic Relief and urges you to help them sponsor 100 orphans during the month of October. Show your love for the Prophet and strive to hashtag be with him by sponsoring an orphan and giving them the gift of hope. Visit irusa.org forward slash mass orphans to learn more. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode on the Remastered Podcast. I'm your host Munir Madison and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Sheikh Abdullah Odoro, who is joining us from Dallas, Texas, and we are shedding some light on the new Muslim experience today. How are you doing today, Sheikh Abdullah? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here with us. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you, uh, Abdullah Odora is a first-generation Ghanaian native that converted to Islam in 1997, mashallah. He graduated from the College of Islamic Law from the University of El Medina in 2007. He conducts public speeches, sermons, lectures, and workshops around the U.S. on Islamic law, self-improvement, and convert life. He is currently the imam at the Islamic Center of Capel in Dallas, Texas. He resides in Dallas, Texas with his wife and four children. Having recently joined Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research as a scholar, Sheikh Abdullah leads a team providing unique and comprehensive resources for new Muslims and institutional new Muslim care. SubhanAllah. I love uh, reading about people who converted so long ago. You know, when we spoke, I didn't even know that you had converted um, until later in the conversation, mashallah. And the fact that you went on to provide convert care, new Muslim care. How did you get started in that? Um, really, it was just uh, just seeing that there was a need, you know, being that I converted to Islam in Houston, Texas, and then uh, coming back from El Medina, you know, within the, you know, every year we come back in the summer, and I just realized that there needs to be something for people that convert because there are people, you know, every summer we come back and there's somebody that converts to Islam, you come back the next summer, you ask, where's the brother, where's the sister, we don't know. So mm-hmm. I just took it upon myself to just kind of form an organization uh, that would help in assisting in the new Muslim experience that would really assist those that convert to Islam to you know, find a sense of, of belonging, uh, social, intellectual, and spiritual resource yeah. for them to healthily uh, integrate within their respective communities. And that is so vital, even today, even in the landscape, you know, we see more and more organizations coming up with uh, convert care, new Muslim care, but it's definitely far uh far and few between. Um, And as we know, like none of us are immune to suffering. In fact, our first conversation started about suffering and then ended up in convert care, uh, new Muslim care. The prophets, peace be upon them all, endured unfathomable trials. It's part of the human experience, albeit in varying degrees. And, you know, those struggles don't stop when we become Muslim, subhanAllah. In fact, uh, I became Muslim five years ago, alhamdulillah, this past August. And I often say that these past five years have been the hardest of my life, some of the hardest. And people are like, oh yeah, that's, well, you became Muslim, of course. I said, (laughs) yes, subhanAllah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew what was coming and he helped lead me to him so that I did have the strength, the patience and the guidance throughout that experience. But Oftentimes that can be the very thing that struggle after converting or, you know, coming back to Islam can be the very thing that takes us away from the deen again. Have you seen that in the community, that alienation that kind of happens upon converting or deciding, you know, to become consciously Muslim? Oh, definitely. I mean, you you know, you you see that. I mean, like you mentioned, um, you talked about the prophets, right? That was something that definitely took place with the prophets because they took on something that was calling to change, primarily change in the lives of the people that were around them. I mean, they were prophets, so they had the message from Allah to, to remind people about the oneness of God. But when you see people become a Muslim, I make it a point to tell them um, it's about to get real, but depending on their personality and what I see from them at the moment, uh, I, I make it a point to let them know that because you made this beautiful, probably the best decision in your life, uh, nothing comes easy. And mm-hmm. I think that's a universal law that people accept when they sit down and just think. So I've seen it in, in different people having different experiences and different outcomes even. 
mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you see people that um, they may not be able to handle it at that moment, but they come back a little later. Some, they, you know, don't come back. And I think that's the beauty of, of, of humanity, that you learn how to, to address and deal with those, firstly yourself, and then with those that may face this experience of converting, reverting to Islam. Yeah. And you just mentioned converting, reverting. So in our first conversation, I I loved that you brought this up because I actually struggled. You know, do I say revert (laughs) like all the Muslims want me to say because I was originally Muslim and God just returned me back to him as a Muslim? Or do I say convert and also honor that I did make a decision to consciously, you know, change my religion, but also honor the 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 foundation that I had in in what I grew up in, in Christianity. So I find this very interesting convert revert, which is the correct term to use, or is there one? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, when I'm, when I was making curriculum for this, for this, for this organization, you know, I noticed throughout my speaking to the seasoned Muslim community or seeing the, 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 the treatment of a seasoned Muslim, seasoned being a born Muslim that's mm-hmm. quote unquote practicing, they're in the mosque, they're involved in the community, how they would make it a point to say, no, you're not a convert, you're a revert. And sometimes it would get, um, it, it could get sometimes a little aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, splitting hairs over the usage of revert over convert. And I thought to myself, you know, really when we look at the meanings of the words, okay, I don't think, I, I, I won't go as far as to say that it's um, semantics, Mm-hmm. But I think they're both correct, just b- based on the reality that you are speaking about. So what I usually tell people, and I hope that we can uh, embrace this understanding, is that, yes, you are a revert, being that you return to your fitrah, you know, as Allah SWT mentions in the Quran, you know, and numerous verses in the Quran regarding the fitrah and returning to your natural inclination, because the fitrah is your natural state, like, you always believe that there was a deity that you had to do something about it, right? Mm-hmm. You always had that ingrained quality and ingrained characteristics. So becoming a Muslim, you return to that natural state. That's why the logo for even the organization we have is an arrow going down and then going back up because you're returning to your natural state and recognizing that there is only one God, that God is not money, God is not a person, God is not my ego, you know, God is not a certain individual that passed away. Rather, it's the one that created me. So that's the first pillar of Islam. But then when we look at the other four pillars, where is the reversion? Mm. See, you convert your lifestyle from chilling and watching TV all night or going to the club at night or staying on the phone all night to getting up and praying at night, going to the mosque at night, and then recognizing, okay, I have four other prayers to offer if I just made my prayer in the morning and I got to go to work. That's a new life. You never would have prayed like that unless you became a Muslim. You never would have circumambulated around what your non-Muslim mother sees as a black box. Okay. You're going to the middle, you're going to the desert to to run and walk around a black box. That's how they understand it. That's how I was was asked. You never would have done that unless you would have embraced Islam. So your lifestyle, the other four pillars is conversion. The first pillar is reversion. So you're a revert and a convert. I think they both go hand in hand. And I hope that we don't split hairs over it to where it causes, you know, division. Right, (laughs) exactly. That's why I always actually, I I find it funny because when I tell people I'm a convert, I say, oh, I'm a convert or revert, whichever you prefer. But then I'm like, but I'm talking about my identity here. I can claim my identity. (laughs) But it's like you said. You can claim your identity? Are you sure about that? I just wonder. It's like you said, I love the fact that you're reframing it and saying you're both because that's honestly how I feel. It's like asking a person from divorced parents, you know, which one's your parent, you know? Mashallah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice Alhamdulillah. And, and like we said, you know, uh, converts aren't just someone who converts to another religion. New Muslims aren't just people who revert, but yeah. usually there's not always an intellectual pull. Usually there's an experiential spiritual pull of some kind. I was wondering if you didn't mind sharing what your experience was like and what brought you to become a new Muslim yourself back in 97. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, uh, 
it was really like the big questions like okay what is all this about like what is life really about what am i supposed to do after i know what it's about like what am i supposed to do in this life if i believe that there's something after this mm -hmm. like where's the connection and where is my responsibility in regards to that connection so when i asked those questions it was really primarily okay first thing is why in the world am i here like right why I remember I used to, we used to, um, we used to sit in the, my, my friend's driveway and it was like till fudger. Now it was like till fudger. <laughs> and we used to, you know, we used to battle each other. We used to rap. So we used to battle each other all, all night and all this. And then I used to say, man, the moon is crazy. I mean, if we were to leave and walk, the moon follows us. And that was something that was so amazing to me. I was like, okay, this is among the ama amazing things is there's something greater than our existence. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to, go on the lifelong journey to find that out. So, wow. you know, when, 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 when asking that question, I asked certain people and there was certain people that I used to battle there from like the East coast from Brooklyn. And, uh, they said, it's all in the hands of Allah. And I only knew Allah from <laughs> certain albums and certain artists and the nation of Islam. Right. So when they started to tell me about it, I was like, okay, I already believe in this. You know, I already believe that mm -hmm. there's a deity, there's a God, he's control everything. He has authority over everything. He created everything. But then when they told me my responsibility based on that knowledge, that is what was intriguing to me. Right? That just gave me chills. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So it was, that's what was like, oh, okay. You call on him because he created you. And calling on anyone other than him is kind of contradictory to your responsibility and his mm -hmm. authority and his majesty and his and his love and his all his beautiful names and attributes you know when, you, when i started to think about it 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 made me feel good but then it made me feel bad because it was like all of these years like i i didn't know about this am i am i worthy of this mm -hmm. uh, and then at the same time there no no it's it's about now god knows that all that took place but he's putting it in front of you now what are you going to do about it so that was where it was like, you know, 19, I got decisions to make decisions, decisions, you know, I, I, and, and I just had to look at life because I always observe life. So I was like, what is life really all about? And then I'll, right. I'll end here. I, I was, uh, I had some friends, they were some twins and uh, we used, there was a beach party in, in South in Houston. Those in Houston know it's called a Kappa beach party. And okay. uh, I remember just walking on the seawall and I was just like, man, what is all this about? Mm -hmm. Like everybody party in here it's like i wasn't really interested i was like man what is life really about and that's when i said you know i think this islam thing is the real thing and so, how did you say you were 19 years old at the time i was 19 yeah oh mashallah see like yeah. i feel like i was 29 when i when i became a muslim wow, and i feel okay. like i missed those 10 years that you got you know like that's how i <laughs> why did it happen later but allahu alam we are all on our own journey and Allah is guiding us. You know, what I love is that you're mentioning reflection a lot, you know, being by the, the, the water, being outside and looking at the moon, reflecting on his signs. And the, did that blow your mind when you read the Quran? Oh, I, oh, of course, of course. That was so profound. Like there's two things that, you know, really hit me is that when I learned well, there's many things, but two really hit me right now when you said signs, because, you know, I had the opportunity to learn Arabic. So when I learned ayah means sign, Allah speaks to his creation with his creation. Mm. So he puts signs in, just like how we have a stop sign. That is a sign that is, it's, it's telling you something, but it's giving you a responsibility. Mm -hmm. So Everything that Allah puts in front of in front of you is a sign, therefore giving you a responsibility, whether it's just to remember that he created it exactly. and then to be thankful for that. If it's your child, if it's your nephew, if it's your health, you know, all of these are signs. So, you know, subhanAllah, when just hearing the word ayah, it's like this is how Allah communicates with us is through his 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 his, his beautiful signs. So that is uh is, is is profound to me you know just just that whole concept of his ayats and his his beautiful signs and then the second thing is the whole concept of the dunya mm -hmm. um linguistically dunya comes from that which is low 
you know, from dena, dena yednu means to, to, to get lower, to lower oneself or to lower something. And, you know, in Islam, the concept of the dunya is something that shouldn't be cherished. It shouldn't be something that is, it's mesmerization. Ability. And that's what I always felt even before being a Muslim. I was like, you know, I didn't go to my prom. I didn't, because I just wasn't into that. Because I, I just, it, to me, it felt fake. Right. So, Did you grow up religious? I mean, my mom, she just left. She's a, she's a deaconess. So I kind of grew up mm. in a religious household somewhat. But it wasn't, no, it wasn't like church every Sunday, you know, say grace before eating. No, mm -hmm. no. Yeah. Yeah. And when you first uh, became Muslim at 19, mashallah, what was the, what was the community like back then? What was your support group like that back then? What was that experience like the first few years navigating? That's a real good question. Uh, right, you give me some nostalgia, man. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. It was, you know, the, the the mosque that I kind of grew up in was very, um, it was quite, it was somewhat diverse. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it was a mosque that was right across the street from, uh, how can I, how can I put this? The hood. I don't know how else. To okay. <laughs> you know, so, and, and, you know, it was, uh, the imam was from Libya, didn't, yeah. didn't play any games with anybody. Okay. So it was right up my alley. I mean, his khutbas were like, his sermons were point. boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it's haram and it's ugly and it's this and it's that. And I was like, is this, is it gonna be like this for every Friday? Right. You know, so, and then the guys that called me to Islam from Brooklyn, that's the mosque they went to. So it was a lot of mm -hmm. North African, you had Indo-Pax, you had, you know, you had Arab as well, you know, North African as well. Uh, so it was very diverse and I felt the brotherhood immediately. I didn't embrace Islam there. I embraced Islam at another mosque that was heavily Indo-Pak and it was a lot of Jamaat Tabligh would go there. Jamaat Tabligh yeah. is like a Islamic missionary group that goes around the world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so when I embraced Islam there, you know how it is. You're you're doing like chest workouts. You just you're hugging like six thousand people. <laughs> you know they they hug you and they're and you know what's the one that they say? You're better than me. You're better than me. Yeah. You know, I remember one brother was like, you're better than me. I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. It was like a, a, a debate, you know, but it was beautiful. So, uh, yeah, the community, depending on what mosque in general, uh, my experience, alhamdulillah, when I embraced Islam, the mosque was very welcoming. Uh, but yeah, so alhamdulillah. Yeah, for, for me, you know, I was maybe 30 minutes south of Richmond, Virginia, and okay. they don't have a large community. In fact, I had to drive 30 minutes away for the wow. masjid. And my first time walking in, no one welcomed me. I came from a church, like a United Methodist background, where if you saw a stranger in church, you go right up to them, you introduce yourself, you welcome them, you say hello, you know. And so I went in, the women's section was in the fellowship hall where people were also making food during the chutbah for after the service. And I just felt very awkward. I would just look out the side of my eye, the corner of my eye to see what other people were doing to follow what they were doing just to learn prayer. The second time I entered the same space, the woman came to me and said, you're wearing hijab wrong. And, you know, subhanAllah, I look back at that time mm -hmm. and I practiced very much in, in, in private you know, with YouTube videos, trying to learn how to pray, not telling my family because they were against it. And when I learned the Sirah and I learned that that's how the first Sahaba studied, mm. they were in Beit Ikram. Like I was overwhelmed. I was just completely overwhelmed sure. with that, you know, recognition of that experience. But also that is what our first Sahaba who we admire and follow went through as well. And it really hit me hard. And you mentioned that in our first conversation, meeting each other. Would, yeah. Could you expound upon that? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, uh, I just got to say ditto to what you said. I mean, that's exactly, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's exactly that. I mean, the first generation of Muslims in Islamic history were converts and I reverts converts, right? Uh, and I think, I think, you know, subhanAllah, you know, the experience that you had in the masjid, this is what I used to challenge any community when I would go and give these seminars because I, I had a seminar called Convert Coaches Seminar. So it would, it would edge, it was kind of like a cultural sensitivity training for seasoned Muslims regarding converts. So 
what are the issues that Converse face that you may not even understand or know or you know, totally oblivious of? From that is when someone walks in the mosque, they may be someone that you know took a lot of courage for them to come to post 9-11 to come into a mosque and ask about Islam, you know, yeah. but you, you have to be very conscious of who walks in the mosque and always greet people, just like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure you told some Muslims before about your experience in the church and how that was a standard and you know uh, a rubric for even determining you know, if you're going to stay at that holy place. You know, it reminds me, I was at a barbershop, one of my barbers, they were like, man, we don't go to that church anymore, man. They were like, why you go to church? He's like, man, they don't smile. They don't do nothing. And they, all they wanted was a smile, mm. you know? So yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the companions, this first generation, they were the ones that converted to Islam and making that point, honing in on it, on a, you know, continuously to communities that, you know, their reality which is our reality of those that left from another religion to come to Islam or no religion to voluntarily embrace Islam, to voluntarily come to a mosque. That phenomenon is the first Islamic phenomenon before those that were born into Islam. Mm. And I think that needs to be honed in continuously to Muslim communities because it'll remind them that someone converting to Islam is not a new thing. It's actually the oldest uh, Islamic phenomenon in Islamic history. So, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not sure if you felt this at all, but I definitely felt a lot of imposter syndrome at first. Um, I mean, even still today, even like doing stuff like this, sometimes I feel imposter syndrome. Um, and so that is really a danger when you don't find a welcoming community, when you find a community that's maybe telling you the first thing that you're doing wrong. And even if it's meant with the, with good intention, right? But that's the dangers. You can further alienate and and keep people away. And it also highlights the fragmentation in our community. Like it, our community can be very fragmented. And unfortunately, the, the new Muslim experience is also an experience that many of our marginalized community members feel. Marginalized community members like people of color, which you can speak to that experience as well. Not only being a new Muslim, but being a male, a Black American male, our first generation Ghanaian, I'm sorry, but Black <laughs> male in, in America. Yeah. Was that a compounded reality for you oh, and did you man. how long how much time what was that like <laughs> oh man you know it's yeah wow yeah i mean i forgot who i was telling yesterday it's like it's a lot to it's a lot to gather mm-hmm. let me start from saudi arabia you know, i was in saudi arabia for like for like eight years so i'm going over there i'm speaking english it's, it's kind of opposite they're expecting me to speak probably arabic you know i'm i'm definitely sudani you know, um, and, and I'm speaking English and, I, you know, for them, it's proper English. So they're really confused. Like, how are you dark like this speaking English? You're from America? Okay. Yeah, right. You know, it's like- thing <laughs> happened to me in Jordan. Everyone thought I was from, I was uncovered then uh-huh. and I'm part Japanese. Everyone thought I was from Philippines. So they assumed I was a migrant worker. Migrant, there you go. Yeah. Boom. Yep. Yep. So then they hear that. And then I start to speak Arabic. And then I studied this. I study Islam. It was very difficult. It was very difficult for them to absorb and to understand, especially when I walk into government agencies. It was it was fun because sometimes I tell my wife, I'd be like, you know, I first met because she was born and raised in Medina. Right. So when I, you know, like I, I was like, watch this. She's like, watch what I said. Just wait. When we go in the embassy, you can watch, you know, and then they'll see when I speak, speak English. They're like, mm-hmm. you're American. I'm like, I'm American. And then they'll say. Oh, Tahmid Jinsi Amrikia. Yeah, they're like, oh, you hold an American passport. You're not American. Mm-hmm. You hold an American passport. So that's what I faced over there. Over here, you know, you know, it's not to complain. It's just mentioning a reality and it's to bring awareness. Raising awareness. Raising awareness. Exactly. 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 You know, sometimes when I get off the memoir giving a khutbah, you get off and then, you know, it's happened a couple of times. Well, probably maybe more than a couple. But mm-hmm. uh, some of them are like, you know, Brother, you're different. I'm like, I'm different. What do you mean? You know, you you recite in your recitation, you're not like the rest, not like the rest of what? You know, brother, you know. No, I don't know, man. What, what do you mean the rest of who? Right? Yeah. So one was straightforward. He was like, you know, you know, the, the black. And I'm like, yeah. I'm glad you were honest. Right. So you see that, you see that um, from from community members, and that's what we have to challenge and call out. To be honest, but respect 
call out from the aspect of educating. Um, mm-hmm. It's very important. Like what happened with George Floyd, you know, in my mosque, I'm on the member. I'm, I'm quoting from Martin Luther King. I'm quoting from Malcolm X. I'm asking community members, do they know who Malcolm X is? You know, right. and they don't. And I tell them that is unacceptable. That is unacceptable. I think it was a couple of days ago. I told him, I said, if you don't know the nation of Islam and Malcolm X and you're living in America, I question your concern for Muslims in America. Yes. I do. I, and I just have when things like George Floyd and other atrocities happen to people that are not Muslim, but the, they're the highest percentage of people embracing Islam and you have no right. knowledge of their history, that's cultural intelligence that is very important. You know, and um, that leaves a responsibility, so. Yeah, and there's this huge context that we have to understand about the history of Islam in America as well. And the movements, what was successful? Why was this successful? We have to learn from that instead of just pushing it aside and saying, okay, well, that's a whole other thing, you know? Yeah. Um, So really understanding that American context, like you said, is very important if we really care about the future of Muslim America and our community. Even if you think it doesn't impact the masjid that you're in or the community you're in, it does. It does. And we're also called by our prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by his example, to be involved in community, to speak up against injustice, to use our gifts and skill sets with which he has bestowed upon us to help others in need, not to just sit in an ivory tower or inside the masajid and write papers and give khutbas and do halakas. Yes, we need all of that. But how do we put our faith into action? Our faith is inherently active. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's it. You know, this, it, there's a real good paper I always promote with the Athena Institute. It's called The Need of Ancestral Knowledge. Mm. We, we, did, we even did an infographic on it, and I spoke about it, and I have a clip on it as well. It's very, very important of having an, knowledge of ancestry. Uh, and it's a huge opportunity for the Muslim woman in particular, because if you look at it from a, a geographical standpoint, you'll see that Islam, there's a lot of, there's a lot of access to the, to the sea and to land in Muslim countries. And understanding the impact and history, evolution of Islam in different places, you'll learn to value and respect other cultures much more. And that's why I highly implore communities to have like a culture day within their mosque. You know, the Indonesian, the Indonesian uh, 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 culture, they can come and bring not only food and clothing, but their certain understanding of how education is, is emitted. You know, having those conversations is a direct implementation of... Uh, you know, the verse in the chapter of Hajarat, chapter 49, verse 18. We made you nations and tribes for what reason? To get to know one another. It's very, you, you won't find it a lot in the Quran where Allah will mention why he did something. Here he mentions why he did it. Mm-hmm. He mentions we've made, that's the verb, that we've made nations and tribes for what reason? there's your responsibility to get to know one another. So if we're not making an effort to get to know one another, we're falling short of that huge potential as a community, as a Muslim community, as an Ummah in a place like America and all around the world. So. Yes, for sure. And that was just reminding me, I was actually trying to pick up the name of the paper by um, Usted Murphy on culture. Do you, do you know the paper off the top of your head on culture and religion? Murphy? Yes. I believe it was Murphy who wrote it. I could be misquoting. I'm, I'll look it up. Murphy? Yes, exactly. He's right down the about, street. I'll, I'll go ask him. <laughs> about the river, about like um, Islam being like the river and the culture. Oh, you're talking about Omar Farouk, Abdullah. Oh, Beautiful I'm sorry. Paper. Oh, my, excellent paper. Exactly, Oasis. my fault. Oh, no, no, no. Oasis Institute, very beautiful paper. I like how he used the river as an example, um, being that it should adapt, right? Yeah. And it and, and it's all inclusive and that's the ultimate goal of being all inclusive and adapt and we should adapt together within that 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 analogy is very yes i read that paper very beautiful what was the name of that paper for any of our listeners or viewers because i just butchered it (laughs) i no 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 i i can't remember the name of the paper but if you go to oasis institute or if you type omar farouk farouk abdullah he has his own website and he has his papers on there Okay, alhamdulillah. Yes, I highly suggest that reading. I, I, it helped me understand more about the perspective of culture and religion and the relationship between the two instead of just saying, oh, we've 
acculturated religion, you know, and just having that oversimplified viewpoint. So I, I think that it's a good read, inshallah. Khair. Um, and also like what hit me when thinking about this topic is that people might say, okay, that's for marginalized communities, that's for converts and reverts. But research shows what converts and reverts are facing, what new Muslims are facing is also what the majority of our youth and young people, young American Muslims are facing today. There's a rise in uh, the nuns, not N-U-N-S in Catholicism, but N-O-N-E-S, where humanism has really replaced religion, political activism has replaced our community that we found in faith-based community spaces and like this over rational logical thinking being really separated from the idea that you can also be spiritual or religious and so we're seeing that we're also seeing you know first second third fourth generation American Muslims struggling with identity expectations between their family and between the society between the mosque and their school. I mean, this is really, honestly, what can we take away from the convert revert experience, I think can also be applied to so many more in our community. Oh, yeah. oh no, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, definitely. I mean, you know, a lot of these workshops over the past, what, almost 20, almost 10 years, um, a lot of the times when I give these classes, it's half of the class or a good amount of the class is the born Muslim, right? Uh, but <laughs> I guess I'll use this term. Uh, it's I call them the renewed Muslim, but mm -hmm. you'll hear people just say born again Muslim, right? But it's like the renewed Muslim. It, it's the guy, and I mean this is this is the reality that we live in. So and it's a reality, and it's not to shun. It's just it's a reality we as human beings. It's the guy that's in college and he comes with his friend. It's a girl from class, but right. she's a friend. But you know there's hopes to possibly marry her, or there's the girl that comes with her friend. But there is some interest there. And she doesn't know how to express that interest, but she knows that he has to be Muslim, mm -hmm. right? That may be their transition to religiosity sometimes because when that person becomes a Muslim, they're challenging them. They're like, aren't you supposed to pray five times a day? Aren't you supposed to, aren't you supposed So that Muslim has a choice to make. That was their awakening. That was their renewal, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely the experiences that the convert revert faces is very similar to that of the youth mm. or the, the first generation, second generation um, uh, American. You know, my parents came from Ghana here, so I'm the first American in my lineage. I went through that in your house, you're wearing the daishiki, but when you get on the bus, you change your shirt, you know, because people are going to make fun of you. And when my mom goes into Kroger, she's going into the produce area and I'm going way over there because I don't want anyone to see me. I've experienced that with a lot of the, the Muslim youth or the young professionals that, uh, you know, understanding their identity was, was a struggle or wasn't even there when they, were, when they were raised as a Muslim. So, you know, when they start to question uh, their faith, which is fine, it's fine to, okay, what do I really believe? You know, when you, when you leave the house, or when you, you know, you're, you're in your first year in college and you have a physics teacher or, you know, psychology they're talking about nature versus nurture in regards to the fitrah in regards to many different many issues that will challenge your core the core of your faith and you can't answer it you know don't feel this because you can't answer it it's wrong mm -hmm. but sometimes they will find that when they go to their family members the fact that you ask the question you're shunned right and that pulls them away even more and the youth pulls them away even more you know so Definitely, there is a there is a parallel between the convert experience and the youth slash young professionals. Uh, and even we can say women. I mean, the women is inside of the youth and the young professionals as well. Um, when when it comes to having an awakening of faith or renew of faith renewal, to where I think we talked about this. You know, born Muslims will take their shahada. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that I think is you a beautiful we, story about that. What was your story on that, Sheikh Abdullah? Oh yeah, there's there's actually another one. I'll, I'll share. I'll share. Okay, there was one. Um, I was at you know Subhanallah. I was at Roots. I don't know if you're familiar with Roots. It's yeah, where Abdurrahman Murphy. You know, so right. I was teaching a new Muslim class there, Ashalia, yeah. and uh, it was funny. We were in a circle. It was the first day is about forty people, and everyone's going around introducing themselves. And then one brother, may Allah bless him, he he 
he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, I took my second Shahada, you know? So I'm like, you took your second Shahada? He's like, yeah, I took my second shot. I said, bro, you cannot just say that and keep talking. You know, you have to explain. <laughs> I've never had my life. Uh, my second shahada. Okay, you gotta explain, bro. You gotta, you gotta let us know what's good with it. So he was like, you know, I was I was a born Muslim, but you know, after while I was raised to the age of like 16, 17, I never knew Islam. I never my parents never told me about Islam. I never really knew what it was. I knew I was a supposed to be muslim i guess right yeah but he said it was just one person i said who he said it was my cousin he said when we would go to like they call it the dawats right like the marriage ceremonies in the always you know we talk and laugh you know i respect him he was good at basketball or whatever he said man he would always go off and just go say hey i'm gonna go pray i'll be right back he said that was it he wouldn't try to force me to pray he wouldn't you know like what my parents made me do and he said, uh, you know, just one day I asked him, man, what do you, what do you, why do you go and pray? And he just started to explain to me. So it was the actions of his cousin that made him ask. And then he started to think about Islam. And then he said it was one lecture by, uh, mashallah, Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Abdul Nasser, that he was giving it at, at Roots. And I forgot what the lecture was about. He said he just started crying. He just couldn't hold it. He said the person next to him just started crying. And he said, that's when I decided to take my shahada. You know, and, yeah, and you know, and now he's mashallah, he's on the the Muslim DMRC, the Dallas Muslim Running Club that we, you know, they run. You know, we just did a 10 k, some did a half marathon, and he's married now. And mashallah, he's he's, he's 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 doing his thing. Mashallah, may Allah bless him. But again, it, it's that is a commonplace, though. Yes, it's a commonplace that you know when they're 16, 17, 18, 19, they're having questions and they don't get them answered. Or they were never even told who God was. They just know they're supposed to be Muslim, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, when they ask those questions, it's very, very important that there is some, there are some resources, human, primarily human resources that can address those issues in a conducive fashion. Exactly. And, you know, subhanAllah, one of the first things I heard my first year being Muslim, uh, I went to this event and the speaker said, we are all converts or reverts at some point. And, And that really hit me because regardless of whether you're born Muslim, regardless of whether you left the religion, you're coming back to faith, regardless of whether you're convert or revert yourself, you know, there is a moment in time we all have to make that conscious decision or really reflect on what we're doing consciously. I mean, I guess there are some people who live their whole life saying, okay, I was born this way. This is what I do. This is what I learned. But there's a moment I believe like everyone kind of needs to reflect and consciously make that decision. Right, right. And exactly. And that's what I tell a lot of parents. I said, you realize that, you know, because the whole concept of um, they call taklif, or the age where you are held responsible for your spiritual act, for your actions, mm-hmm. right? You know, that's roughly 15, 16, 17, you know? Uh, and for girls, it's even earlier because they reach that transition, maturity transition even earlier with certain signs, biological, psychological signs. So at 15, 16, your boy is held accountable for making salah. Mm-hmm. It's not 20, 25. Mm. right it's not when we're when they leave the house and go to college it was well before that we're talking about sophomore in high school so that reality needs to sink in um and you know they need to understand that when that hits that that puberty they're going to psychologically change they're going to ask questions they're going Mm. to ask why am i even a muslim like is this really the like the is there only one truth right Exactly. And you know what just came to my mind? I didn't even think about this before. So we haven't discussed it. And if you're not comfortable answering, just let me know. But (laughs) how has being a convert or somebody who chose to become Muslim uh, impacted, uh, I guess, parenting growing Muslims, young Muslims? Because I was just thinking about that. I myself don't have children yet, inshallah, one day, but I know that you have four, mashallah. And I was thinking, I wish they could have the convert experience, actually. I wish they could come to the dean experientially and then learn all of the rules and, you know, memorize everything. 
how do I give that to my children? How do I help them experience what I'm experiencing and not perpetuate what's already going on in our community? So how did you do that? Uh, man, that's a real great question. I mean, there's a real good paper on this as well. It's called the Souls Assorted in Yakin Institute okay. as well. It's talking about spiritual personalities. Mm. It even goes as far as to distinguish between the four companions and how they were didn't have different personalities and the religion was malleable to each personality, allowing them to thrive in their own way, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when it comes to the children, raising them as a Muslim, you know, I, I, I'm not of the, the take of, 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 I just wanted, I wanna make it a point to my children that they can always come and communicate with me. I, I don't push them to be exposed to certain things, but I don't withhold them from exposure. And I, I want to be very, very careful and clear on that um, because we live in an environment. It's not what someone would quote unquote term a Muslim quote unquote environment. That may mean even. But when they go out in society and they see certain things, I just want to make sure that they can, I'm a reference, that they can ask me or that I can explain it to them and explain the differences behind both things behind the two things right so for instance my son loves basketball my daughter is getting into boxing you know so when they're in that environment and they're on the team and they hear i mean they hear a curse word or they, you know they have there's a there's a party at the end of the, of the season and you know it may be at someone's house you know they're going to be exposed to certain things see certain things but welcome to the real world right welcome to the real world Practicing your Islam in this environment is going to be a challenge, but life is a challenge. So I don't try to withhold them from certain things all the time. If there's certain things like totally unacceptable, of course, but when they reach that certain age, it's, it's really about, look, when you were zero to 15 or 16, I did the best that I could to give you principles and guidelines. Right. Right. But you're your own man now. I trust you. I trust you with your phone. Yeah. Now, you don't even have to leave the house anymore to worry. Your phone, I trust you with your phone. But if I catch you, okay, I may have to, <laughs> may have to lay the sledgehammer down. But it's not the first time, but it's, you know, it's gradual. And that's how you help raise a man and raise a woman is that you give them a level of trust and allow them to live their personality without trying to live your life in theirs. Yes. That's beautiful. I love that. And I think that's something that all parents struggle with or mentors struggle with, or even teachers, you know, that, that you have to allow the individual to be their individual and have their own path as well, and just be there to yeah. help guide and support. Yeah. Sure. SubhanAllah. And that also made me think of another question. Yeah. You mentioned your wife is from Saudi Arabia, actually. And something that comes up a lot I think, at least in my experience and in the circles that I was in with other converts and reverts, is when looking for a spouse as a convert or revert, oftentimes oh. people want to find somebody who was already born Muslim to have like somebody to help them and guide them, or they want to find someone who understands the convert experience. So someone who is coming back, you know, is a renewed Muslim or uh, is a revert or convert themselves can also be the, you know, preference. So how did that play out for you? Did that have anything to do with your choice? Oh man, this is a whole, we need to make, we need to make a sequel. We need to be like <laughs> different parts. This is a whole chapter. Oh, okay. So you'll find with the born Muslim, a lot of times, countless times. Oh yeah, where do I start? Okay, you'll find it particularly with sisters, okay? Mm -hmm that they say, I do not want a born Muslim. I want a convert. Or let's be a little more mm. softer. I do not want anyone from my culture. Mm. I don't want to marry. She's Indo-Pak. I don't want to marry Pakistan. She's Arab. I don't want to marry an Arab, you know, like that. They, they don't want to marry someone from their culture. But more than not, I will hear them say, I want to marry a convert. And when I ask them why, they say, like you said, they understand what Islam really is. They're living it because they made the conscious choice throughout all of this fitna, throughout all these trials and tribulations, and particularly with, you know, the perception of women and exploitation of women, they choose to become a Muslim and marry a Muslim girl, right? Or marry someone that is practicing Islamic values. Mm -hmm. That is why they say, because they made that conscious decision to do that. It wasn't just that they were raised or quote unquote forced, kind of what we talked about it before, right? right. 
they made the decision to become a Muslim. That's why they want uh, a Muslim. And then on the flip side, you'll see uh, someone that converts to Islam. They want someone that's just a born Muslim, hopefully a Muslim family, you know, the whole nine. Uh, hopefully her name is Aisha and she has like, or Khadija, you know, and, you know, when she walks, the, the light will just like shine and, you know, all the, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> you, know, you may hear a chorus in the background with no music, just chorus, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, so you, 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 and that's an interesting, an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for me personally, I just wanted to marry an educator. I wanted to marry someone that uh, was an educator and they took, they took family very seriously, right? Uh, because when I would, when I was, I guess you could say looking for a wife, I wasn't looking for a wife. I was looking for a righteous mother. That's what I was looking for because I'm a family man with all caps, red, bold letters, underlined, flashing. I'm a family man. I love family. I love children. I love tribe. I love that's what I was ultimately looking for, me personally. Um, and, you know, when I was a Muslim in America, because I was a Muslim maybe two and a half years until I got shipped off to Medina, I wasn't even trying to get married. I was just trying to study. I just really wanted to study Islam. That was my goal, to study and tell my mom, my family about Islam. Now, when I went to Saudi Arabia, uh, that's when it started to, you know, started to think about marriage and things of that nature. Right. So. And they say, you know, that Allah wills, you know, when you're least expecting or when you're not necessarily seeking it so alhamdulillah i mean what you said was just i think you you'll have a lot of listeners saying okay that's a role model sentence right there as to what i should be looking for in a spouse um so alhamdulillah jazakallah khair for that you know i could talk to you for hours on this subject (laughs) and many many more just jazakallah khair for being so open with your own experience with your insights everything um I, I actually wondered if closing off, we could speak a little bit about New You. So New You is a nonprofit organization for converts. It has resources for new Muslims to both educate and enrich themselves. And it's spelled K-N-E-W-U, capital U, correct? Yes, yes, capital U, yes. So what is, what is New You? Tell us more about it. How's it going? And what types of resources do they offer? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's ultimately it's to serve as a resource for the social, intellectual, and spiritual development of new and renewed Muslims worldwide. So it started roughly in 2010 in Houston, Texas. And it just started by me just teaching people, uh, the five pillars of Islam and the six pillars of Iman. Uh, and I was just doing a powerful presentation, but then it kind of morphed into something else. So we would have, you know, social events and educational events. Uh, and then it came into like a curriculum, uh, teaching people how to pray. We had monthly potlucks, uh, aid parties for converts. Uh, so that's what was going on roughly in 2000 to 2015. But now it's more of a, an online portal for people just to learn Islam electronically. Uh, and if they want to get seminars, I used to give seminars in different parts of, of America to converts and also primarily to mastered organizations and MSAs. And that's the convert coaches seminar, right? That's teaching people how to become a convert coach. Uh, we coined this around 2012. So I it love was that name. Yeah, it was very, very, yeah, it, it was very, very beneficial because I realized, okay, the people I'm not speaking to when I'm, you know, speaking this message or telling people, telling this to people, it's obviously a mosque. Well, converts aren't there. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's the guy that has a convert friend. Yes. It's the guy that's an MSA and his friend is thinking about coming Muslim or he doesn't know what to give his friend or she doesn't know what to give her friend. What's the first thing? I don't know. Do I give her 6,000 books or one book? Do I give her a Quran? Is that enough for her? Just here's a Quran. Hope you do well. You there know, you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good luck. Right. Good luck. So that seminar is really catered for them. It's catered for Dow organizations. It's mm-hmm. kind of a cultural sensitivity training as well. Kind of the things we're talking about are a number of pillars within this, this seminar. So that is what we were doing. But um, now kind of being involved with Yakin and doing things with Yakin, I'm still on the back end with New You, but it's okay. more of a, an online engine. But if people request like a Convert Coaches seminar, we can happily oblige, inshallah. Yes. And with Yakin, what are you doing in Convert Care? Uh, well, right now, what I did previously is there's a series of videos that we did 
um, called, uh, I think it was The Basics, if I'm not mistaken. If you go on their YouTube or their website, you can see we did a series of videos on the who, what, when, where, and why of each pillar of Islam. And then there's a series that we have for convert coaches. It's, I guess convert coaches. I don't think it's out yet, but it's kind of the five guidelines that everyone, every convert coach should know. And then outside of that, we have some, uh, you know, I'm getting involved in some of the, like the ancestral knowledge paper. We do infographics on that and do some chutbahs on that. I work with the chutbah committee, chutbah corner to <clears throat> cater for chutbahs on those lines. And I'm in the systematic theology department. So things that deal with faith, um, and how to work with faith. That's more yes. of it now. So Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Yes, I mean, this convert coach uh, concept is so important, so needed. I wish that there was a coach there when I first converted, but Alhamdulillah, Allahu Alam, you know, he's the master of our, our journey and he knows best. But NPR actually did a piece on me when I first moved into faith-based work and they did this whole piece. They were looking for someone who was converting that year. And I said, I'm sorry, I converted three years ago. And they're like, but we're looking for someone converting right now. Don't you know anyone converting right now? And I was like, well, I just know my story. I can tell you my story and I'm facilitating a potluck for people who are converts and reverts and you can come and interview some people. And so Alhamdulillah, we did that. Um, I was featured on NPR, but as which was a dream, but you know, Alhamdulillah, it actually reached people who needed it. And there were a few people who found me on Facebook who literally said, I am interested in Islam. I found you or I heard your story on NPR. Can you guide me? And all of a sudden about two and a half or three years in where I was learning my first, like, I didn't know what Tarawi was until that year. And I was put in charge of it. And I felt just like, oh my gosh, how do I guide these people when I myself am blind? Like, it's like the blind leading the blind. And so Alhamdulillah, I reached out to a few people, put together resources based on what helped me. But I was like, why don't we have more out here that's standardized, that's really has marketing and presence in our national organizations or et cetera. I mean, I didn't even know about the organizations then, but on Google, why can't I Google this and find something that will help? Because there with the internet, like we were saying, you know, for someone who's a new Muslim, for someone who just converted or reverted, there's a plethora of information out there. And uh, as we were saying, it's very hard to navigate. So for those people who do not have a strong community around them, you know, for those people who don't know where to first look, what would you say to them, Sheikh Abdullah? If you're coming back to the deen or you're interested in Islam, I mean, maybe you wouldn't be listening to this, but if you forwarded this to a friend, where could they start? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, you know, um, uh, if you're talking about online, I mean, Yaqeen has a resource of the videos that we've made for for people that convert to Islam. Uh, You have um, different, you have New You to check out. You have uh, also... Uh, Iera, I-E-R-A, they have a new Muslim now, I think it's called Muslim now, where they provide those resources online. Uh, There's a number of resources that are pretty new Muslim guide, I think it has something uh, for them to go through a gradual process and learning the basics of Islam. But there's nothing like the human experience of having a convert coach. Um, Also, I'm teaching at Valley Ranch Islamic Center. There's a book that I wrote, it's actually the level two for converts. It's called Iman Plan. So it's a, basically a book that goes over the conditions of the shahadas, like seven, how to pray and how to make wudu, and then an introduction to what is Quran and what is Sunnah, like the history and what is what is Sunnah. So I teach that at Valley. If you go on the Valley Ranch Islamic Center um, YouTube page, I teach it every other Sunday, but we, we've been doing it for a couple of months now. I'm definitely so, going to check all of those resources out, especially this last one that you just uh, uh, mentioned. But also, I, I would like to add to that, Sheikh Abdullah, that if there are any like uh, opportunities to volunteer, I mean, if you're already if you already became Muslim, you're trying to grow in your dean, right? You don't know where to start. If there's any opportunities to volunteer with the children's program, I actually mm-hmm. learned a lot in the summer program that I ran. I, I learned that I was doing wudu wrong when the six and seven year olds were learning about wudu. So that, that helped a lot. <laughs> Mashallah. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. A friend of mine, he, he started an organization called Amana. It's a refugee mm-hmm. service organization. 
getting involved in refugee services, like in your local communities, there's usually a brother or sister, they, they start something for the refugees. Like you mentioned, Sunday schools, um, learning and, and then, you know, kind of shadowing the teacher and then being able to teach the youth because you'll find a lot of times when a convert immerses in a community, the first demographic they start with is the youth because it's, it's automatically relatable. Yeah. Because the youth are born and raised here, they automatically will cling to you and click, you know, right. uh, uh, gravitate towards you. So getting involved with the youth, um, getting involved in um, humanitarian, Muslim humanitarian services, uh, inter interfaith to a certain degree, you know, having an open house. If there is not an open house, make one. Yes. Right. And that's a message to the Muslim communities. I mean, mashallah, you're 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 hosting a show, the organization, you know, and yourself, mashallah, took it upon yourselves to do something. Now it's going to help somebody else, just like what you did. You know, people reached out to you because you made an effort to reach out to the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's important for Muslim communities to empower the convert communities. And that's exactly what the Prophet did. The event that we call was the Prophet empowering Bilal. And Bilal was a convert to Islam. So this is, we see this throughout many different situations in the Sirah. The Prophet empowered those people that became Muslim and they left an imprint in Islamic history till the end of time. So when we call the Adhan, next time we hear a call the Adhan, let's think of that. Let's just think of that empowerment of a, it was a convert that uh, subhanAllah uh, brought this to happen. And it was actually an, a dream of Zaid that he came to Prophet Zaid was a convert as well, right? So when we see this, subhanAllah, you know, it's, it's very important, you know, to get the converts involved and use their talents to help the community. And if you're a convert to try to reach out to get involved in the communities in those efforts, inshallah. Inshallah. And also to help guide them during that process, not to just like put them on display because I've had, I've had like two things happen where like either they want to put you on display because, okay, you're the, you, you can make a, you know, a name for this organization or something like that. Or they want to be like, okay, yeah, you don't know anything yet. Like you can't be involved. So we need to find that balance where, where we also have that guidance when we empower those and we also educate them and support them, inshallah. So with that, Sheikh Abdullah, how can people find you and find more of what you're working on online, on the interwebs? Um, I think you can go to Instagram as I'm kind of on there now somebody manages it for me but it's it's an interesting mechanism so yes. <laughs> kind of doing the stories on there now so if you go to abdullah a b d u l l a h underscore oduro o-d-u-r-o that's my instagram and then with that name you'll find everything else just just you know google it inshallah you can find other things that i'm doing alhamdulillah well it has been such a joy such a blessing to speak with you to meet you albeit virtually and to hear more about your experience your insights uh -huh everything that you're doing in the community, Jazak Allah khair for all of your work. I mean, it's, it's just amazing to see how people have come from where they've come and they, they notice the, these are the challenges based on my experiences. And we're going to fill this. I'm going to fill this gap and I'm going to do something about it. And you were just urging all of us to do the same. And you are an example, Sheikh Abdullah for that. So Jazak Allah khair for your service and uh, it was it was a pleasure talking with you. Oh no, may Allah reward you. I mean, you're an example of that as well. Mashallah, your efforts, your consistency. Mashallah, may Allah bless you and everything that you're doing. And I mean, all of this that was all of this that was put together. The ones that are in the background hiding out from us, exactly. you know, may Allah reward them. I don't think we thank the logistical teams of a lot of these organizations exactly. as, as we should, you know, because without them in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, it wouldn't happen. So, I'm just honored to be a part of this effort. May Allah bless you and continue to shower his blessings upon you by continuing this work, inshallah. Ameen. And Jazakumallah khairan to all of you, our listeners and viewers. Of course, without you, we would not have a podcast. So make sure to subscribe, share, like, engage in the comments. Let us know what you want our next conversation to be wherever you get your podcast. So thank you for listening. Jazakumallah khairan. This is Munira Madison signing off from the Remastered Podcast. Until next time, assalamu alaikum. This episode is brought to you by Mass Youth Campaign, The Orphan Who Changed the World. Mass Youth has teamed up with Islamic Relief and urges you to help them sponsor 100 orphans during the month of October. 
Show your love for the Prophet and strive to hashtag be with him by sponsoring an orphan and giving them the gift of hope. Visit irusa.org forward slash mass orphans to learn more.